What does this chapter teach us about Father God? I think so often our default question when we're reading, when we're doing Bible study is, what does this verse mean to me? Now, that's actually not a bad question to ask. What does this verse mean to me? But I think we should first ask, what do we learn about God here? What are we learning about Him? Because I believe the Psalms are God-centered. They are they're God-focused. In amongst all of that reality, in amongst all of that life, all of that heartache, pain and joy, they're, they're God-centered. And there are days where they're full of praise, but there are days where the Psalms are really, really quite heavy as you read them, true? You know, I'd go as far as to say that most of us, when we're reading the Psalms, generalization, you know, um, we get a warm feeling from reading the Psalms, you know, because there's always hope when you read the Psalms a sense of normality almost. I, I, I love it when I'm reading some of David's psalms and he's falling apart. It's like, dude, I can relate to that. That's awesome, you know? And then he has this victory and whether I can relate to it or not, I can, at least I can say, hey, I know what's coming, yeah? There's a sense of reality in the psalms and especially Psalm 84 because Psalm 84 is a really encouraging psalm. Now, some of you, most of you, are, are old enough to remember the 90s, yeah? Yeah, right. All right, just check it. Yeah, I think so. Right. <laughs> I'm just looking at one or two. Yeah, I think you remember the 90s. But in the 90s, there, there was this explosion this, of worship songs and, and worship music. And one of the people that actually led that was a guy by the name of Matt Redman. Most people know Matt Redman. In fact, you'd know a lot of a whole stack of his songs really from you know 10,000 I was going to say 100,000 reasons that's how I typed it and I had to fix it you know 10,000 reasons bless the Lord O my soul blessed be the name of the Lord but the one that a majority of us actually know and actually remember and the one that really set the tone at the time was he song heart of worship yeah most people would know that song and I'm just going to read a story that I found on the internet you know, that was written about the heart of worship. And it starts off, excuse as I have a drink. The song dates back to the late 1990s, born from a period of apathy within Matt's home church, which was sole survivor in Watford, England. Despite the country's overall contribution to the current worship revival, Redmond's congregation was struggling to find meaning in its musical outpouring at the time. This is a quote. There was a dynamic missing, so the pastor did a pretty brave thing, he recalls. He decided to get rid of the sound system and band for a season, and we gathered together with just our voices. His point was that we'd lost our way in worship, and the way to get back to the heart would be to strip everything away. I'm not suggesting we do that, by the way. Reminding his church family to be producers in worship, yeah, the church family, to be producers in worship, not just consumers, the pastor, Mike Pilavachi, asked, when you come through the doors on a Sunday, what are you bringing as your offering to God? 
Matt says the question initially led to some embarrassing silence, but eventually people broke into a cappella songs and heartfelt prayers, encountering God in a fresh way. Yeah? So that song, Heart of Worship, comes from that. <laughs> like it comes from that. And people started to praise God again. People actually started to, to pray heartfelt prayers again. And then eventually, praise God, the sound system came back. And then eventually the musicians came back. And Matt wrote the song in that context. When the music fades and all is stripped away and I simply come longing to bring, sorry, because this undoes me, longing to bring something that's of worth, yeah, that will bless your heart on coming back to the heart of worship and it's all about you. <laughs> it's all about you, Jesus. You think about the last couple of years with COVID. I'm okay talking about COVID. People find it really tiring when you talk about COVID, but COVID's here. It's all over the world, right? But if you think about the last couple of years with COVID, for us, even in church environments, it's like it was like everything had been stripped away. Yeah, our worshippers, <laughs> some of our band. Yeah, everything felt like it was being stripped away. It's been such a long time coming for me where we can actually worship like we did today. You know, just openly with people, just worship, bringing something that's of worth, yeah? And I think that's why it's so sweet for so many. You know, there were days during COVID where there was five of us, four of us on the stage, <laughs> One of us running around the back doing the videoing and doing the sound. And it was really hard at the start when there are no faces. It was really hard at the start where there are no voices coming back. But as we settled into what was the norm at that time, God was faithful. He was so faithful. Yeah? And so the four were bringing something that was of worth just to bless his heart, yeah? yeah? It was so sweet. And I think God was so faithful then that he's faithful now. And for me, this is like our time to come back, yeah? This is our time to come back with a real heartfelt worship. It's our time to come back with a heart of worship. It's our time not to be afraid how we express ourselves, yeah? Man, you know, the four that were here, they didn't have to worry about faces. They didn't care whether their eyes were closed. They didn't care if they were crying. They didn't care if their hands were lifted up. They didn't care if they were on their knees. Well, I did behind the camera. Come on, there's people watching. But they didn't care. You know, I'm thankful for people like Ross and Sally who, who, who lead our worship team. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful, even as Sally shared last week, as, as we gathered and just to encourage some of our people you know, every individual that's part of our team, I'm thankful for that. Oh, I'm thankful for the new team members, the old team members. I'm thankful for them all because they bring their hearts, they bring their willingness, they bring their, their sacrifices, and they bring all that they are to help us walk into a place of sweet, sweet worship with God. You know, I thank our technical side, you know, 
we've only got really two or three technical people, but they're awesome. Yeah. I'm one of those. So they're awesome, yeah. <laughs> you know, our creative side, I'm thankful for that. Now, I don't think we have to, us, intentionally strip anything away because I think God did it. I think God's already stripped things away. And in that light, the question for us now, for you and I, legitimately, as we come back, is are we going to worship him? Or are we going to actually worship him, bring something that's of worth? You know, Psalm 84 is such a good place to start. And to go through the psalm, sometimes it reminds us that we're not supposed to be consumers. But as that little write-up wrote, we're supposed to be producers. We're supposed to add something, add value. We're supposed to be people who contribute to worship in the house, yeah? yeah. You know, let me tell you a little bit about the, the authors of the Psalms because so often, we, because David has written so many, we just assume that David has written everything. But David didn't write all the Psalms. Yes, of course he wrote Psalm 23, probably the, the best you know, and most well-known Psalm. He wrote Psalm 23. He wrote so, in fact, he wrote 73 of the Psalms. That leaves about 77 yeah, for other people, people like Moses, Solomon, Ethan, the sons of Korah, Asaph, a, a whole bunch of others. Now, David didn't write Psalm 84, but I think there's a little bit of David in the story in the background because it's talking about the dwelling place of God, but this this is beyond just the time of the tabernacle for Israel. It's beyond that. There was a, there's a, there was a season. Who remembers the, the, the tabernacle, the tent, the beautiful, expensive tent that they used to worship God in? You know? That's where the sacrifices took place. They created a space for the Holy of Holies. People gathered and worshipped God there. And then, of course, David has this dream for a, for a temple, something bigger, more grandiose, I, I guess. And for me... You can get a sense of that in this psalm. But it was Solomon who would go on to build that temple. Even in fact, today they still refer to it as Solomon's temple, don't they? And so that's the setting for Psalm 84. And so the temple has already been built. And so here is the dwelling place. And so this dwelling place is beyond the tabernacle. It, it becomes this wonderful experience of the house of the Lord for those that would gather there. And after Solomon actually dedicated the temple, one of the most amazing things that, that happened was God's presence. His presence. You know, we sang, we sang that song, I love, I love your presence. His presence was manifest in that temple. We know God's in heaven. We know the angels are singing holy, holy, holy. We know that. But, and we know that Jesus is sitting at his right hand, but we also know that Jesus is in our hearts through the Holy Spirit, yeah? So we've got this God who's the creator of all the earth and he manifests his presence all over the earth at the moment, today. But at that point, at that time, his presence was in the temple. And, and, and now he speaks into our hearts. He can really he can speak to anyone, anytime. But at that time, it was in that temple. There was something really special uh, about Israel. There was something special about Jerusalem because... There was something special about the temple because God actually said of that temple that he would actually come and he would especially, especially demonstrate his presence in that place. He actually said that. 
on one occasion, we, we've heard of the term Shekinah glory. Yeah? The, the Shekinah glory of God was in the temple. There's no word to translate Shekinah in the English language, but it's the bright, shining, overwhelming glory of God that was manifest in the temple. That's his presence. And that was the place of worship. It's where God and man, God and his people were meeting. And so that was his dwelling place. And so when you and I come into this place to worship, yeah, we're actually stepping into where his presence is. We're stepping into where his Shekinah glory is if we will actually bring something that's of worth. Yeah? I love verse 1. How lovely is your dwelling place. How lovely is your dwelling place? You know, I shared last week that God knows our thoughts, yeah? How often have you and I, those that are watching, how often have we been guilty? Come on, got to go. Got lunch, got football, got soccer. I'm not demeaning those things. I'm just an example. The sun's out, my cafe's closing, got to go. How lovely is the dwelling place of the Lord God Almighty. Yeah? You know, for me, this has to be the heartbeat of every believer to know the presence of the Lord. Not just to know him in the book, not just to know him on paper, but to know the tangible presence of the Lord when he's near, when he's nigh. Draw nigh to God and he draw nigh to you. That's what the Bible says. So if you're drawing near to God and he's not drawing near to you, I'm telling you, God's not the issue. Yeah? Because it's a promise of God. You just have to step towards him. Isn't the prodigal a beautiful example? He turns around, start, just takes a step and the father's jumping a fence to it. You just gotta, we just have to turn to him. How, how lovely is your dwelling place? You know, I love it that we can know his presence while we're driving and listening to worship. I, I love it that we can know his presence while we're doing gardening. You know, I, I love it that we can know his presence while you and I, while we fellowship together. And I love the fact that the Spirit comes to us and reminds us of his word and he comforts us and reassures us. I love that. And today we have Jesus. He actually lives in us because you and I are the temple of the Most High, yeah? We are living stones, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. How lovely is your dwelling place? That's us. I mean, that temple's not there anymore. But we thank God that the presence of the Lord is here in us, in his temples, yeah? That's a bit of a background. That's the picture. I've got 20 minutes now to make my point. You know, I believe there's something of Jesus in Psalm 84 that's somewhat obvious. Yeah? Jesus was drawn to Jerusalem. And when he was in Jerusalem, he was really close to the temple. Remember, Jesus is the great high priest yeah, who leads us in worship. But he's also the sacrifice. And it was his blood that was shed for us very close to the temple. Yeah? And that's when within the temple, the curtain was torn. So Jesus, you find him, for me, you find him in this psalm. You find him actually through lots of the psalms. But Jesus is also participating in worship. He participates in worship. It's who he is. 
See, Jesus was and is a man of the temple. He lives within us. But Jesus was and is a man of the Psalms, and he was zealous for the people of God. He, he, he came to help us worship. In fact, he even came to purify worship along the way. You know, in fact, one time the Bible says Jesus was watching people as they were bringing their gifts. This really should be an offering message, I'm just thinking as I'm beginning to share it. So there was a woman, he was watching as she's bringing her gifts. So let me throw it in there. As we bring our gifts, gifts, guess who's watching? <laughs> you know what? You can't do this with God. Yeah, right. He's actually got 360 peripheral vision. We're stitched. Yeah, he's watching. But he observes our generosity. Yeah, Our generosity is a part of our worship. You've got to understand this, right? And so he watches our worship. He watches our fellowship. It, doesn't he even say that if you've got something wrong in a relationship, just stop, stop your worship for the moment. Fix the relationship and come back and worship. He doesn't tell you not to worship. He just tells you go and fix the relationship. Yeah? He never tells us to stay away from worship. There's never anywhere that he tells you to stay away from worship. Some people really struggle to worship at home alone. So funny that they think it's okay to stay away from the house of God where they can worship. Because I can't find anywhere in the scripture where God tells you to stop worshiping. Just, you know, that's for free. <laughs> so... The setting is, is this temple and Jesus is the man of the temple and there's this beautiful picture, I think, you know, of the worship of Israel. And verse 3, and, and I'm thinking of Ross at the moment because I know he does some bird watching legitimately and takes photographs and he's got a whole list of, you know, birds that he knows by look. Everything to me looks like a sparrow. Everything to me looks like food. I loved Amy's testimony, but I'm thinking it's not enough for one person. You need three or four of those. Like, it's just, it's just the way that I am. You know, don't, don't stone me. It's just the way that I am. But verse 3 says, Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young, a place near your altar. Lord Almighty, my God and my King, the sparrow and the swallow, it's almost as if, think of it as a drone. Yeah, if we could sit on their wings, yeah, and fly in with them to the temple of God. It, right here, a place near your altar, Lord Almighty, my King and my God. What would they see? Would they see the sights? Would they see the quietness of the early morning? What, what is it that they would see? Would they see the sunrise? Would they see the swell of the crowd as they're, they're gathering together for the festival to worship God? What would they see? Would they hear the call to worship, the murmur of prayer? I know one thing, if we were flying in on their wings, we would have a place near his altar. Yeah? A place near him. Yeah? So cool. Jesus was a man of the Psalms. He constantly quoted the Psalms on the cross. He, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? comes from Psalm 22. Then, he, then on the cross, he quotes Psalm 31, 15. This, the Psalm itself reads, My times are in your hands. But when he says, into your hands, I commend my spirit, he's quoting the psalm. So we have, Jesus is a man of the psalms. Jesus is a man of the temple. And so the first thing I want to say, and I guess what I'm trying to, trying to say in all of this, is Jesus longed, longed for the dwelling place of worship. He longed for it. He lo think, about, think about waiting. 
any sort of waiting. Think about a child waiting to open their Christmas gifts. Yeah? Think about me after a service waiting for a coffee patiently while everybody else is getting served. You know, think about any sort of waiting. And then you can think about Psalm 84 because Psalm 84 reads, how, how lovely is your dwelling place? And then I'm, I'm imagining that Jesus would actually be able to sing this psalm, my soul yearns, it yearns, it even faints. Think about that. And I am so longing that, my, that I'm even faint at this waiting. My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord, my heart and my flesh, they cry out. Jesus longed for the dwelling place of worship. He longed for the courts of the Lord. You know, Jesus, Jesus had that same longing for praise. It was just, it was in him. It was who he is. And, and for me, the, the man and woman of God that we are, deep within our souls, we should know that we're born to worship God. We should have that same longing. My, I, I yearn, I faint, I long. You know, Jesus comes and he purifies worship in the house of God. He comes as a worshipper, but then he's this reconciler because that's all about the cross. And God reconciles sinners. You know what? Jesus came and he could see the mess that we were making of worship. And I guess when you think about that Matt Redmond story and, and the pastor Mike Pilavachi, maybe they could see the mess that they had made of worship. I don't know. But Jesus comes and he goes to the temple and he sees that people had totally forgotten what the temple was about, what worship was about. It, it, it sort of became like an industry. It, you know, people did whatever they wanted to do. It became about power. It became about likes and dislikes. You know, even as believers in Jesus, I think if we're to be totally honest, we know that we can create worship in our own image. You know, what do I mean by that? The kind of worship that makes us uncomfortable. You know, we can become apathetic and lazy. We can forget that God is actually totally awesome and holy. We can forget that it's about the very presence of God himself and we can just stay there and we can mimic and mime the songs and bring something that's of no worth at all. Because we can forget, yeah? We can forget. You know, even the sons of Eli, they were around the tabernacle. They were so familiar with the holy. Yet they were living sinful lives in the eyes of the Father. In fact, they didn't even see the disconnect until it was too late. Think about Uzzah who touched the Ark of the Covenant and then dropped dead. Man, dude, did you forget that there were standards in the house of God? Did you forget? He touched the Ark even though everything that he'd learnt and he knew said you couldn't touch it. And Jesus comes to this temple, this amazing grace of Jesus. And he comes as a worshipper and he comes to purify worship. And as he comes to the temple, he actually opens a way for us and the curtain's torn. Yeah? He's clearing away the, the money changers' tables. And the Bible actually says, zeal for your house shall consume me. Zeal for your house. It's like passion for the house of God. Passion for the people of God. Do I have as much passion for the house of God and the people of God as I do for my coffee? 
Do you have as much passion for the house of God and the people of God as you do for your children? Do you have that passion, that longing, that yearning? Because this is what Psalm 84 is all about. You know, Jesus encourages praise in the house of God. This isn't about being Pentecostal and raising your hands and doing stuff like that. It's not about that. But sometimes we can't even say amen to something that's... This is not to, supposed to be a rebuke. This is supposed to be encouraging. God's changing it. <laughs> you know, Matthew 21, 14 to 16, the blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. No one was excluded. Yeah, no one was excluded. We continue as a church and a leadership to say our doors are open to everyone, yeah? To everyone, regardless of the life that they live, because we're not here to make that judgment on them, yeah? In the same way that we said vaccinated or unvaccinated, our doors are going to be open to everyone. Jesus excluded no one. We will not exclude people in this place. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the, the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, he yelled out, children, be quiet! No, he did not. He didn't yell that out, did he? Hosanna to the Son of God, the kids were yelling out. They, and they were indignant, these chief priests. They were angry, they were disturbed, they were resentful. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants? Um, infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise. What he's actually doing is encouraging the children and those that are around him to praise. He's actually giving them an excuse to praise in the house of God. So if ever there was a safe place, it has to be within the house of God where we can say, you know what, my God's awesome. He's so good. In fact, I don't normally pray for myself, but I did this one time because I could see my kids and, 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 and particularly the brokenness because we'd lost this bird, but we thought it was gone. But I said, God, this one time, I'm going to pray to you for me. I'm going to be selfish. course i would come into the house and praise him you know what i just want to say god heard me god answered my prayers he is the best god like i thought he was good but now my faith's gone to a whole nother level he encourages us to praise i mean he's the way maker and he draws us to worship and he wants us to praise him I mean, Hebrews 10, 19 to 20, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, amen for that, by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through that tearing of the curtain, that is his body. And since we have this great high priest, that's Jesus, over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings. Man, I love that. And, and we have this example of Jesus who worshipped in his own frail humanity. Yes, he was God, but he was also God-man. And he longs for the dwelling place of worship and he worships in his brokenness. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. I think we see his humanness here. And then you get to verse 6. And as they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. It turns into a place of springs because of their worship, 
turns into a place of springs because they bring something that's of worth because Bacchus itself, that's said to be a place of tears, of weeping, of drought, of dryness. So when we read they pass through the valley of Bacchus, that, that alludes to all of those things. It's basically saying this is a really hard valley. Some of us can say in life, this is a really hard valley. This is a really difficult season. Jesus, it's driving me insane. You know, we've heard of the valley of the shadow of death, and this can be a metaphor, an image, I think, for all of us that journey through life, because I've said it over the last couple of weeks, sometimes life can feel like it's just paper thin, where there's always trouble upon trouble. And especially now, with everything that's happening around the world, it's so, I guess, confusing, yeah? But Jesus knows this. I mean, he knows those troubled and confusing times. Jesus knows what it's like to walk through those valleys. He knows Jesus worshipped in those valleys. My God, my God, while he's on a cross, why have you forsaken me? He knows. I mean, he knows what it is to walk through those valleys. He's quoting the hardest of times. Jesus came in all his weakness. I love that Christmas hymn that we, that we sing. And part of it says, Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, yeah? Hail the incarnate deity, pleased As man, with man to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel, yeah? Man, that just captures it. And so for you and I, sometimes we need to push through and come in all our weakness to worship him. You've got to hear me. I don't know who this is for, but it's not the time sometimes to curl up into a ball. Sometimes it's like I have nothing left in me, but I'm going to bring everything I can and I'm going to worship my God. So just like him, sometimes... We can feel our weakness in worship. And sometimes we try to pray and it feels like our prayers are bouncing off the walls. You know, I think Amy said beautifully, sometimes I pray for people and I wonder if he even hears. Yeah. And sometimes we praise and we feel like our hearts are on fire and they're stirred and they're filled with joy. And other times we feel nothing at all. But that's life. That's reality. Really, that's every psalm just about. Yeah. And Psalm 84, 7 says, they go from strength to strength till each appears before God, strength to strength. We go through the valley, but as we worship, as we bring something that's of worth, that will bless your heart, his heart, yeah? Then we go from strength to strength. That's why when you get to verse 10, it says, better, better is one day. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand anywhere else. I would rather be a doorkeeper right at the front of your courts than anywhere else. Better is one day. And for me, you know what? I pray that our worship is not just limited to one day. I pray that each and every one of us here and listening, our worship flows and overflows into every day of our lives, yeah? That we would be a people that worship him all the time. You know, there's something so divine that Jesus draws here. You know, he gives us this awesome psalm and, and we know that he experiences the valley and yet then we get to, psalm, we get to verse 8 to 12. 8 to 12 is just joyous. It's, it's, like, it's like lucky he's getting here before he finishes because this is where the rubber hits the road. This is really full of joy. Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, God of Jacob. Look on our shield, O God. Look with favour on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather 
be a doorkeeper. You can almost see him as he's writing. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Like there's this joy because he understands, he's experienced the tangible presence of God in the house. And he's thinking, man, it's so much better here than anywhere else. I know I've got the voucher for Maccas. I know I've got the voucher for Table 48. I know my mum in Melbourne's cooked a chicken and it's probably going to be dry when I get there. But you know what? This is awesome. For the Lord God is sun and shield. The Lord bestows favour and honour. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk his blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts you. So the sparrow finds a home and the swallows welcome, even setting up a nest. And the doorkeepers over the moon stoked. There's a commentary by Boyce and in it he writes, The insignificant can find his place in the house of God and the restless man can find his rest or his nest there near God's altar. Man, I love that. That is so sweet. You know, through the valley of pain, even in the very ordinary, even if we're just a doorkeeper, even if we feel like we're insignificant, even if we feel like we're not contributing, oh, what joy there is to come and gather and worship God together. Seriously. You know, this psalm needs to encourage us today. It really does. Why don't you stand? Because I'm going to get us to sing in a moment. Because I'm going to ask you this one thing, to look deep inside in a moment and bring something that's of worth, that will bless his heart. Because yeah? it's all about his presence. How lovely is the dwelling place of the Lord. Yeah. It, do you know every Christian, every believer should be able to say that? They should be able to say that about their homes where they've created an environment to worship. They should be able to say that about their vehicles, their cars, their workplace. And I'm telling you more than anything else, they should be able to say that about the church that they're actually at home in. How lovely is the dwelling place of the Lord? How glorious is the presence of the Lord? You know, there's room for the sparrow, room for the doorkeeper, there's room. <laughs> even in the valley of tears. But as we praise him, we go from strength to strength. Yeah? As we praise him, we go from strength to strength. I was talking to John and Judy this week, and, and Judy, we know, has got some issues with her back, and Judy and John, we continue to pray for God's healing. We know that Nick has had issues. Like Some churches have got problems with cancer. Our church seems to, be, seems to have problems with people's backs, right? And so I'm pointing out those that I can recall, Jen, who has an issue with her back. There are others because I want us to have victory in that area. But the thing is that as we praise him, we go from strength to strength. They have no choice. They can either just sit and complain and wane or they can say, you know what, this is really freaking me out. I can't stand, I can't walk. But God, you are, you are still on your throne. You are still almighty. You've still blessed me in my marriage. You still helped me to raise my kids. You've still made sure that I've been able to be the man of God that you've called me to be, even in the pain. I know I've prayed God and the pain is still there. I think of Judy. But you know what? She still praises him for his goodness. Yeah, she still lifts up his name. It's in that place after we go through the valley and praise him that we go from strength to strength. We're so blessed that we can actually trust in God. 
You know what? And the world around us says, no, no, don't go to church. Don't do it. Don't go. What for? There's so much better stuff for you. Like, hey, the new Batman movie starts at 11. Don't go to church. The Begonia Festival's on. Go look at pretty flowers. Like, you know, whatever it might be. Moomba. Something. I don't know. But the world just says, don't go to church. There's stuff that you can do. And the reality and truth is, you can go a thousand days with all of that stuff, and that's not even as good as one day in the house and courts of the Lord. Our greatest needs, our greatest needs are met in the presence of God. Our greatest needs are met in the presence of God. So if the worship team could come up, I would love us to sing, I love your presence. Our greatest needs are met in the presence of God. So I want us to be worshippers. I want us, let's be contributors. Let's be producers. Let's actually bring something that's of worth that will bless his heart. I've actually finished my sermon and I'm only a a minute and 30 seconds over. That is a miracle in itself. That is worth praising God for, yeah? But for the moment, can we step into a place? Can I ask you to honestly and sincerely step into a place? I just want to read. Sorry, Mel. I just want to read this again when I find it here in my notes. There was a dynamic missing, so the pastor did a pretty brave thing, he recalls. He decided to get rid of the sound system and the band for a season. And we gathered together with just our voices. His point was that we'd lost our way in worship. And the way to get it back to the heart would be to strip everything away. When the music fades and all is stripped away, and I simply come, longing to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart, I'm coming back to the heart of worship. We don't need to strip away music and musicians, but sometimes we need to strip some stuff away from our hearts so that we can actually bring something that's of worth. And so I'm getting the guys to sing this as a prayer, really. And I invite you to be free in your worship. Don't worry about how you express yourself. If you want to kneel down, kneel down. If you're happy sitting, sit. If you want to raise your hands, raise your hands. If you'd like to come to the front to worship, whatever you're comfortable with, I'm asking you that you would actually strip away from your heart and bring something that's of worth today.
I thank you for the Psalms. I, I thank you for the teaching, God. I thank you for the direction. God, I just thank you for the reminder, Lord God, that better is one day in your house. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. God, I pray that every heart this day that has stripped things away, God, may you, Holy Spirit, minister. For those that are at home that are worshipping Holy Spirit, would you minister to them now and touch them, Lord God. I pray, God, that from week to week, God, that we would have a momentum, that we would walk into this place as producers, as consumers, God, that we would bring into this place something that's of worth that will bless your heart. God, I thank you, Lord, for this day. Lord, and we truly praise you. We truly exalt you. Father, we give you all the glory. Feel free to stay and bask <laughs> in the glory of God. Feel free to run and get your kids and save our children's church workers. <laughs>